Welcome in, Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope that all of you are having a fantastic Monday. I hope that you had stellar, incredible uh, weekends. For the record, uh, I spent my weekend. By the way, go click like and subscribe if you are watching any of this on YouTube. We are at 970,000 subscribers. That means at some point this week, we should officially hit 1 million subscribers on YouTube for the OutKick channel. I love all of you. Thank you for all of the commenting that you do on this show. Uh, my kids are super excited about us hitting a million. Uh, supposedly, we get a brand new like YouTube button, gold button or something. I'm not sure exactly how it works. They spend all day long, every day on YouTube, so this is a big deal. I am excited. Uh, thank you to everyone out there who has subscribed. So, I spent my weekend uh, in a recording studio recording my new book, which is going to be out August 8th, uh, American Playbook. I think it's pretty good. Uh, only like four people have read it, so there isn't a lot of judge uh, in, in terms of like whether people like it or not because hardly anybody's read it. Uh, it's about how to win a landslide election in 2024 from the humble perspective of yours truly. If you are not a reader, you will be able to listen to me record the entire book. I've got six hours done. It's probably going to take about 10 hours, but the whole book you'll be able to listen to on audio of me if you just want to listen to my voice uh, read the book. As I wrote it, I wrote every word as I've written every word of every book that's been published, every word of every millions of words that are up on OutKick. Uh, so this is all me. I spent my time there, and then I spent my time at the Little League field. That was the entirety of, uh, of my experience. So I bring all of that up uh, just to say that I'm excited about the book. I will be out this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm headed up to Blackberry Farms in East Tennessee. I'm told that it's fabulous. Uh, if Trump gets indicted, which may happen sooner rather than later, then I'll hop on Clay and Buck. Otherwise, I'll be out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll be with you guys tomorrow. Okay, bunch of different stories out there. Best thing that I saw in sports in a long time, uh, the Tennessee-Clemson College World Series baseball game and the regional uh, final. Incredible game. I believe it was Saturday night, right? I got home from Little League, uh, thought that uh, I would uh, watch just a little while, and it ended up being one of the best baseball games I have seen in forever. Went to the 14th inning. The Tennessee was down to their last strike and hit uh, literally one of their guys, hit the ball out of the stadium uh, for a three-run homer, went into the 14th inning, Tennessee won, went on to win the regional. Clemson lost the next day. This took a lot out. I think whoever would have won this game would have lost the next game. I say this every year. Every year I get into college baseball when the College World Series starts, right? There are, I believe, 64 teams that advance to 16 different regional sites. And then we go to the Super Regional, which has eight sites, 16 teams advance. Um, and I love it, right? It is incredible, riveting uh, television to watch, and uh, and I just think overall it is absolutely extraordinary, fun, engaging sport 
every year when this tournament starts, I pay a lot of attention. I have been to Omaha once. I would like to go back to Omaha. My kids and my wife have been multiple times. Uh, and so uh, I don't think it's going to happen this year because I'll be up at Cooperstown. Uh, but at some point, I'm going to go to Omaha and spend a substantial period of time to watch that. In the meantime, uh, pretty great uh, weekend of activities watching some of those games. And I know they're going on today. Today is elimination day uh, for anyone that is playing into Monday. There are elimination games taking place all day today. Uh, it is riveting NCAA tournament style uh, baseball, and anything can happen. Encourage all of you to go uh, check that out. All right. The I remember I said I thought this series would go six, and then after game one, I said I now think it's going to go five and a half. I'm back to thinking the series is going to go six. Nuggets lost their first home game yet. Uh, the uh, Heat found a way to get it done, withstood a late three-point attempt that would have put the game into overtime. I still like the Nuggets in six, uh, but that would be uh, my analysis here as we head back to Miami. Uh, I, I think that there will be a Denver Nugget win in six, but the Heat have made it a series by winning one on the road. Okay, there are a lot of other stories that I want to hit here, uh, and so I'm going to dive into them in order. There's a huge piece in The Atlantic about Chris Licht, who is the CNN head. 15,000-some-odd word piece. I tweeted it out. I would encourage you guys to go check it out. It was really, really uh, interesting uh, as it pertained to that story. But what jumped out to me were several different stories that it is unlikely that you heard very much about. And I want to hit those uh, aspects of this uh, of this story. Uh, and jumping out, uh, this is Chris Lick. This is a direct quote about CNN's coverage of COVID. In the beginning, it was a trusted source. This crazy thing, no one understands it. Help us make sense of it, what's going on. And then I think we got it to a place where, oh, wow, we got to keep getting those ratings. We got to keep getting the sense of urgency. Uh, he said, COVID, COVID, COVID. Look at the case numbers. Look at this. Look at this. No context. And, you know, the kind of shaming. And then people walked outside and they go, this is not my life. This is not my reality. You guys are just saying this because you need the ratings. You need the clicks. I don't trust you. Question, were they wrong? They were not, he said. It's a pretty big criticism of CNN from the new head of CNN telling you what I've been saying for years. CNN, MSNBC, they artificially hyped up COVID based on all the data. Also, later quote, he was talking with kids who were in college and they were talking about truth and fiction. And he said, wait a second. We don't know how many deaths there were from COVID. This is the head of CNN new now. No, really, we don't. Uh, he said, where we run into trouble is when you say, no, come on. We're not even having the conversation. This goes to trust as much as anything else. If you're solid on your facts, he said, look, there was a legitimate conversation. I'm reading from this article to be had about the death toll to COVID. 
perhaps some patients had been admitted with life-threatening illnesses before COVID began, then died with a positive diagnosis. Hey, these are ac- he's accurate, right? I went into this piece thinking, I'm not really going to like this guy, Chris Lick. The piece was devastating to him, but it was almost entirely the context surrounding the quotes, not the quotes themselves. This is important uh, because if you're in public relations, let's just say you're out there listening to me right now and you're like, I don't trust anything Clay Travis says. That's certainly you're right. I have reached the point where I almost won't talk to any media unless it's live or unless I'm taping the entire conversation because I don't believe that I'm going to be quoted accurately. And I'm fine sharing my opinions on anything under the sun. I do it for three hours on the radio every day. I do it on this show. I do it on Twitter a lot. I do it on a lot of other shows. But what I find is you're often taken out of context. There's been way too many times where I've been quoted in stories, and I've talked to somebody for a half hour or 45 minutes, and they just take one sentence from me or two or three sentences from me. And it's an opportunity for the writer of the piece to tell you what he wants or she wants you to think, not what I want you to hear. And so if I were advising Chris Licht or anybody else out there in media, period, I would say only do live media, do long-form media, right? Don't do short interview segments and let somebody else have the context to see what that story is, right? I just think it's important. Um, And he also said, by the way, something else I agreed with him on that I flagged. Lick argued the media's blind spots uh, owe to a lack of diversity and not the lack of diversity that newsrooms are obsessed over. He wants to recruit reporters who are deeply religious and reporters who grew up on food stamps and reporters who own guns. Lick recalled a recent dust-up with his own diversity, equity, and inclusion staff after he said, a black person, a brown person, and an Asian woman that all graduated the same year from Harvard is not diversity. Uh, He said, I think defund the police would have been covered differently if newsrooms were filled with people who had lived in public housing. I asked him why. The author did. They have a different relationship with their need with the police. Again, this was a left-wing hit job that was the Atlantic was going to savage this guy because he doesn't have the right opinions. But Chris Lick, why not talk to somebody like Clay Travis? You could have come on my podcast. You could have talked for three hours. Everything that you said would be your own opinions, right? Come on the Clay and Buck show live. Everything that you say is your own opinions. Pay attention how often the power in the media is to contextualize you as they see fit, not using most of the time your own words, right? What other people say about you, any profile piece. And I say this as someone who has written several of them, tells you as much or more about the author of the profile piece as it does about the person who is being profiled. 
Just keep that in mind. Just think about it. Uh, because I think that context matters. And I think it's important to contemplate what that context reflects. Uh, and here, the intent with this CNN piece was to get Chris Lick fired because he's not sufficiently left-wing. He has too many questions. His mind is too open to a variety of perspectives and possibilities for him to be the head of CNN in the mind of this guy at The Atlantic. It's a good piece to read, but I want you to focus on how little of it is directly related to Lick's own quotes and how much is the context that sur surrounds it. And if you're in PR and you're listening to me right now, you're like, oh, what is Clay Travis saying here? It's if I'm doing an event now or if I'm doing a uh, an interview, I want the whole thing public. If I talk to you for 30 minutes, I want the full transcript. And I've done this before. The last profile that got done on me by the Washington Post, I published the entire transcript. You can still go read it of my entire interview with the Washington Post writer. And then that gives you an opportunity to go read what I actually said and compare it with the tiny number of words that were actually in there. Remember, I found that I was misquoted in the article when I went back and looked at the transcript. The reporter didn't even get the limited number of words about me in the story actually accurate. It's kind of crazy. You've got to own your own story. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. I'm not opposed to talking to somebody at the New York Times or talking to CNN or MSNBC or any other outlet out there. But I cannot and will not be quoted without the full context of my quotes being given. That's why I like, I'm fortunate because I get to do live radio every day. I get to do this. You get to hear directly from me. I think it's also why pretty much every attack that's ever written about me doesn't work because you guys can hear everything I, I think. There's nobody writing pieces where it's like, oh, that's different than something Clay Travis said on his show. No, it's pretty much the exact same thing that I would say on my show. Speaking of shows, RFK Jr. just did a Spaces, I believe, with Elon Musk on Twitter. I haven't seen what he said there. But I will say this. I got to give a lot of props to RFK Jr. He is 100% right on COVID lockdowns. RFK Jr. is more honest on breaking down COVID than any Democrat has been in the last three years. This is important because over time, what have I been saying? What I have been telling you for years, I've been saying is going to end up being the right side of history. And you're already seeing people run from it. Everybody wants to claim that they didn't actually shut down schools now. That they weren't requiring masks, right? They're, Randy Weingarten, the teachers union, Joe Biden, everybody is pretending now that they weren't responsible for your kids being remote for multiple years. That they weren't responsible for your four-year-old having to have a mask on. That they weren't responsible for COVID shot mandates, right? that they never said the COVID shot would stop you from getting COVID or spreading COVID. They're all running from the truth. We have the receipts on all of their lies. And I give credit to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
for actually speaking out clearly and telling the truth on this issue. I think it is incredibly important. Um, and I think, frankly, he should be the nominee over Joe Biden, right? RFK Jr. is a Democrat. There would be things that I wouldn't agree with him on, but I would sit back and say, you know what? This guy is a truth teller, uh, and I would be very flattered, frankly, if RFK Jr. was the nominee over Joe Biden because I would feel like at least we're getting somebody honest in the Democrat Party. Think about this for a minute. RFK Jr. is the only Democrat who has acknowledged how disastrous lockdowns were and also the only Democrat who has come out and said, boys shouldn't be competing in girl sports. That is, biological men shouldn't be able to identify as women and compete in women's championships. He's the only Democrat uh, that I have heard say both of those things. I support that. There are things we disagree on, but I think RFK Jr. is a far better candidate and a far more honest candidate than Joe Biden. Which brings me to Stephen A. Stephen A. came out today and said, Joe Biden needs to be gone, right? He cannot run over the age of 80. Stephen A. and I agree again. I think that Joe Biden is too old and he is mentally and physically incompetent. Two-thirds of the American public agrees with me, agrees with Stephen A. I think Joe Biden needs to step down and allow the Democrats to select a new uh, a, a new standard bearer, a new primary representative for the election. And I think that would change things a lot. I think it would change things a lot for Trump because I think Trump wants to run against Biden. He wants a rematch. And I think there are a lot of people out there that would prefer that we end up with younger candidates. Now, Trump at 78 is in far better mental and physical condition than Joe Biden. There's no doubt about that. But Trump is still 78. Now, I think he would wipe the floor with Joe Biden at 82, but I think certainly Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, the younger version of Democrats, Tim Scott, that are out there that are 20 and 30 and 40 years younger than Joe Biden, I think a lot of people are ready to turn the page to a younger version of candidate. And I think the fact that Stephen A. is coming out and saying this is significant. A part of me thinks, you may have heard me say it on the radio show today, a part of me thinks at some point Joe Biden is actually going to come out in the wake of the collapse. It's reckless. The Air Force Academy I think the numbers are trending against Joe Biden's competence to such an extent that I think Joe Biden might come out and announce he's not running. I, I, I really do, getting forced out. And I think the only reason Biden is running is because Trump is running. If Trump weren't running, I think Biden would not run. I, I, I really do. Uh, so that is the latest on Biden and his age. Uh, I saw this, and I wanted to make sure uh, that this got attention Tim Scott did an absolutely fantastic job confronting the imbeciles on The View. And in fact, when we share this clip, let me pause here and allow them to interject Tim Scott eviscerating the ladies of The View. Uh, Tim Scott, when you listen to that clip, and you can go to my Twitter feed if you haven't seen it yet, Tim Scott on The View today 
sounds an awful lot like Barack Obama in 2008. Now, people won't acknowledge it. Barack Obama 2008 was the same campaign as Ronald Reagan 1980. It was the same campaign as Bill Clinton 1992. It was, America is such an amazing place. Obama's 2008 campaign was that even a mixed-race kid from Hawaii with a funky name can grow up and become the president of the United States. That's how amazing America is. Because we've long sold the premise any kid born anywhere in America could one day grow up and be the president of the United States. Obama's election in 2008 made that promise to a large extent true. And I think most Americans, starting in 2008, recognized that America is an amazing place and that anybody could be elected president. The arguments that Tim Scott made on The View about American exceptionalism and the fact that he isn't an exception for his success. He cited Obama. He cited the vice president's a minority. He cited two secretary of states, lots of governors out there. You can achieve in America, no matter where you are born and no matter what your parents do. And so when you argue, as the Democrats do, that you are constrained in your success by your own race, that is fundamentally untrue. And the argument that Tim Scott made on The View today is actually very similar to the argument that Barack Obama made 15 years ago. The difference is the Democrat Party is so overtaken by woke ideology that they have ended up taken over by identity politics. There's a big debate. I saw DeSantis and Trump arguing about uh, Trump said the word woke is not that useful anymore. And all these, I disagree. And I write about this in my book. People say, what does woke politics even mean? I'll tell you. Woke, and I said this on Stephen A's podcast, and I would encourage other people out there listening to think about this. Woke, to me, is defined as identity politics over everything else. You can only see the world through the prism of your identity. And you should choose whose arguments are better, not based on the quality of the argument, but based on the identity of the arguer. And you'll see this happen all the time. I want you to pay attention to it. Watch MSNBC and CNN and watch how often their commentators come on and say, as a black gay woman, I believe... Why should I care that you're black and gay and a woman? Your argument is either a good argument or it's not. Your identity doesn't give greater legitimacy to the argument that you are making, right? As a black gay woman, I think the tax rates, why why do I care about the black gay woman? This is a modern day version of the divine right of kings, right? Because back in times of royalty, The king used to argue that he was correct because of his identity as the king. And if you were a nobleman, you would argue that you were correct because of the identity of your nobleness. It's exactly what we repudiated when we ran uh, the revolution, right? When the Revolutionary War happened, it was the idea that your identity shouldn't control your power. And what's happened in America today 
is identity trumps everything. So woke politics is identity, the oppression Olympics, over everything else. Your opinion matters, not based on the cogency or legitimacy of your argument or the content of your character, as Martin Luther King said, but instead based on your identity, the things that you didn't choose, right? And I said this with Stephen A., but I, I would continue to build on it. Your race and sex is actually, I think, one of the least interesting parts about you. I didn't choose to be a white guy, right? If you're watching me right now and you are Hispanic or black or Asian or white, whatever it is, male or female, you didn't choose your race and your gender. Now, Democrats would argue you can choose your gender, but they're crazy, right? You're either male or female. Gender binary is real. Um, and so your race and your gender, that isn't interesting to me. I can see that automatically. Oh, you're a black woman. Okay. I'm not interested in what you didn't choose in your life. That's actually the least interesting part of you. I'm interested in the choices you make as an individual, irrespective of your gender or your race. Woke politics puts us only in the context of race and gender. It's all that matters. I think that's so important. Um, went to see Spider-Verse over the weekend. Solid endorsement of Spider-Verse. All right? I had uh, a really good time watching Spider-Verse. I took the Travis boys. We had a big crew last night, Sunday night at the movie theater. Um, and I thought that they were really, really solid. Spider-Verse, very well done. Um, and encourage all of you uh, to uh, to go check it out. Eight-year-old loved it. Twelve-year-old loved it. Fifteen-year-old loved it. And there wasn't any larger issues associated with it. Um, I didn't have any like major concerns about the ideology of the movie. thought it was just really well done. If you need a summer movie, go check it out. A um, couple of other things. Chris Sununu has announced he's the governor of New Hampshire that he is not going to be running for the uh, – Republican presidency in 2024. Uh, and he announced that in an interview with CNN and in an editorial that he wrote for the Washington Post. This is another big part of the book, and I'm thinking about it a lot because I spent six hours reading it. We have to stop. The Republicans have to stop presuming that the New York Times and the Wall Street, uh, sorry, and the Washington Post and CNN and MSNBC are actually in any way going to be fair, right? Zero fairness is coming from them. As a result, you have to stop begging for their attention and their acclaim and their respect. They hate you. They want to destroy you. They believe that Republicans and anybody who's not far left wing is awful. Why are you begging for their approbation? Why are you begging that they're going to like you? This is very 1990s era thinking. This is Mitt Romney thinking, okay? Chris Sununu should have gone to the Wall Street Journal. He should have gone to Fox News. Should have gone to OutKick. Maybe go to the Daily Wire. Go places where your audience actually is. Begging CNN to like you. Begging the Washington Post to like you. They hate you. There is no doubt at all about that. Um, Nikki Haley. want to give Nikki Haley some credit. Nikki Haley was pressed about her position on abortion. 
and whether she supported a six-week abortion ban. And she said, I'm not going to answer that question until Joe Biden answers whether he supports a nine-month abortion ban. It's a good answer by Nikki Haley, okay? The really radical position. There are two radical positions on abortion. One is you can get an abortion in the ninth month of pregnancy. The other is there should be no exceptions whatsoever for any abortion-related issues, right? Rape, incest, life of a mother, none of it matters. There should be zero abortions, and it should be criminal if they occur, right? About 10% of people believe there should be no limits uh, on abortion. Nine-month abortions are fine. About 10% of people believe no abortion should be allowed at all. Those are both, I think, relatively radical positions. 80% of the American public is somewhere in between. That's where I am. That's where Nikki Haley is. That's where lots of rational, reasonable people are. There's nothing wrong with either position, right? I'm a First Amendment absolutist. You can take any perspective that you want at all. But this idea that somehow uh, uh, Republicans have radical propositions on abortion and Democrats are reasonable is just not true. Joe Biden should have to answer whether he believes nine-month abortion should be legal. He does, but he's trying to dodge it. Great answer by Nikki Haley. Uh, All right. Uh, And then finally, is this a real thing? Um, I'm looking right now. uh, Supposedly, I just had um, Katie, who works for us, Go out to Wendy's. She was getting food for the kids there at camp. I got a soccer camp kid. I got a a baseball camp kid. Summer is here in the Travis household. She texted me and said, hey, I'm going through Wendy's. Can you get me a Frosty? I said, yeah, give me a chocolate Frosty. The traditional goat of chocolate Frosty. She said it wasn't available. All they have is strawberry Frosties. Is this true? Has this occurred without my knowledge, or is this just some issue at the Wendy's that she went to. Can you not get a chocolate Frosty anymore? This is a sign that the communists are taking over America. They have the vanilla Frosty. They have the strawberry Frosty. I'm about to go downstairs. She said they don't have the chocolate Frosty anymore. I will not allow this racism of Frostydom to exist. Let me know whether or not this is occurring everywhere. My mind is blown that I couldn't get a chocolate Frosty today. I believe that America is a better place when we have multiracial flavors of Frosties available at Wendy. The chocolate Frosty, the vanilla Frosty, the strawberry Frosty, all of America brought together in holy harmony of Frostydom, especially as it gets hot. I'm fired up if this is actually the truth now. I love all of you. I'm going to go downstairs and have my Frosty now. There better still be chocolate Frosties available in America or else the communists have won. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I'm Clay Travis, and this has been Outkick Show.